You are listening to the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast, where everyday girls let you in on their breastfeeding journeys. And I will unpack all things breastfeeding. I'm your host, Susie Prout, a midwife and lactation consultant. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Australian Breastfeeding Podcast. I am so excited with the guests that I have for you today because I know that there's a lot of burning questions out there that you ask me often about babies and the unsettled baby and the questions that often I would say, maybe go and talk to your GP or your pediatrician about, and I don't have any straightforward answers for you all the time. And so I wanted to bring someone on that could give some more insight into some of the questions that I get all of the time. So I have someone here for you that I'm very excited to announce, and that is Dr. Deb Levy. And um, Dr. Deb is a pediatrician. She's normally in Sydney. However, she is in Canada at the moment. And so, yes. Hi, Deb. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Susie. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, awesome. Okay. So do you mind just letting the listeners know a little bit about you and your family and where you are and what you do? Yes, great. Um, as you mentioned, I'm usually based in Sydney, um, where I have a practice there, but I'm currently in Toronto enjoying the snow and my girls are loving it. I have two daughters who are four and six years old. So it's been a kind of an adventure, although we are really stuck with the lockdown because of COVID, but we're making the most of it. Um, in terms of my background, I am trained as a conventional pediatrician. I've actually got um, extensive experience in acute illnesses and pediatric emergency medicine. But then really wanting to be able to better serve my patients, I have jumped into this holistic world. So um, I've studied nutrition, environmental medicine, and I formulated a five-pillar health plan to better not only just treat illnesses, but give parents the tools in order to help their children. Yeah, awesome. It sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to um, hearing more about it. So I have asked, we chatted a little bit before about the common things that maybe um, new mums would want to know. And I also asked on my Instagram if any of my followers had any burning questions for you. And so it's very important when I do any of my podcasts is that I recognize my scope of practice. And so obviously my scope of practice as a midwife and LC is um, not diagnostic at all. So obviously I can treat the symptoms of many things, but I can't say to any of my clients, what you have is X, Y, Z, what you have is reflux, what you have is something else. I always need to let them then go on to um, a medical professional and have that diagnosed. And so it's awesome to have you here because a lot of the questions that the girls have are around the unsettled baby. And so when girls have their babies, they often have that lovely two-week period where they've had their babies and their baby sleeps well and everything's going well and they sleep feed. And then they come out of that kind of two-week time and things suddenly change for them. And so you know, it can just be a small change that they're more wakeful and they have their crying periods in the afternoon. And then it can be those babies that are really very unsettled. And often women will say to me, I just don't know if this is what I should be expecting, if this is normal, if it's not, if there's something I'm missing. And so I wanted to just delve into a couple of those things. And the first thing I think we should chat about is probably the most common question I would get is surrounding reflux. And so we always have this idea with reflux is that 
you have a baby who is vomiting a lot all over the place and generally quite unhappy. And so do you mind just chatting through the reflux and then the other one, which is the silent reflux, which the girls asked about as well. And when is it a problem and when is it um, something that we need to fix or do something about? Okay, sure. I think that um, the way to approach this is firstly to understand exactly what reflux is. And I, you know, it might be a little bit simple for your listeners, but I think it's an easy way then to comprehend the, the whole um, volume of what reflux is. So reflux really is the passage of milk going from the stomach back up the food pipe, also known as the esophagus. It's And that's actually normal in the vast majority of newborn babies. You know, they, they do have a degree of reflux. Yeah. But there is a spectrum. So you're going to have your babies that reflux. No one ever knows about it. And as they get a little bit older, their muscle tone improves. The muscles in the esophagus, especially at the bottom called the sphincter, strengthens and you no longer get that reflux. On the other end of the extreme is when you're getting that reflux, but the volume of milk is coming all the way up and that's when children are vomiting it up. And then because it's happening quite frequently, that then causes discomfort pain. And that is what you, I think, referring to when you're talking about your classic screaming, unhappy baby who's vomiting everywhere after most feeds. Yeah. Um, Those babies are also at risk of developing complications of reflux. And the main complications that we always look for are poor weight gain or even weight loss. And that's usually because it's so painful for them to eat that they start refusing feeds as well or they're vomiting up large volumes, but I find that it's actually more likely to be refusing feeds. Very occasionally, babies can also breathe in that fluid um, and cause problems in their lungs. So that's really your your one end of the extreme. The majority of children, however, fall somewhere in between where they're unsettled, maybe sometimes they don't want to feed, maybe during nighttime it's okay to feed, and it becomes, you know, maybe sometimes they vomit, sometimes they don't, and and it becomes a little bit more tricky. And um, as you said, you know, there's also a degree of, well, what's normal with baby's behavior? And, you know, I I distinctly remember, you know, with my first child, those wonderful first two weeks where you think, oh, my goodness, I've got this nailed. I've got this under control. I've got the world's best baby. And then suddenly, you know, they wake up and um, they're a part of the world and they're learning so many new things about their environment. Their digestion is starting to mature. You know, so much is going on. And, you know, so you've got to also take that into account. In terms of, you know, you asked specifically about silent reflux. Yeah. Really, again, that's a difficult one because it's very hard to prove. It's a clinical diagnosis, um, which means it's mainly done on history in terms of what, you know, the mum or dad are telling me. And what is happening there is you're getting that reflux of the milk up into the esophagus, but it's not coming all the way out. So they can slow the pain. They can still have um, the feed refusals, the typical movements also that reflux babies make, um, which I'm happy to go into as well, if you think your readers would be interested. And the other side of the coin as well, is there definitely silent reflux or is it colic? You know, so so, some of these conditions do do tend to overlap a little bit. Mm. Yes, no, absolutely. And the other thing I think that the girls say is, they could have a baby who's spewing all the time but is also happy and Mm. and content and Mm. smiling away and then spews but still smiling afterwards. And so then I often say to my girls, well, 
you know, you just need to then manage the nutrition and, and the weight. And is that, would you agree 100%. with that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we always refer to those as happy chuckers. Yes. <laughs> so essentially you're right. And, you know, if you recall what I said, the majority of babies have a degree of reflux, but yeah. for the, the vast majority of them, it just doesn't bother them. And as yeah. they get older, their muscle tone, they're sitting up more, that'll all go away. It becomes an annoying because yeah. you're having to change clothes a lot. But yes, as long as they're gaining weight, um, it's really nothing to worry about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I often say to those girls that it really is just more of a laundry issue that your situation yes. is, is just a laundry issue. <laughs> and then what about when you have the babies that you medicate for reflux? Is it something that do babies have to be medicated for it? Is it more choice? Are there some babies that definitely need to be medicated? Because a lot of girls will say, should I go on medication? Should I go see a GP? What should I do? Okay. So I'm possibly a bit of an unusual pediatrician in that I try very hard not to put your child on medication. Yeah, that's good. Um, so um, <laughs> there are quite a few steps that I will implement for parents um, prior to considering medication because all medications are with complications. Yeah. So I do like to try and avoid them. Simple measures that parents can implement are keeping babies upright, you know, burping effectively. And I'm, I'm sure you're, you're very um, familiar with these, Susie. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the upright for 20 minutes after a feed, sorry, elevating the head of the crib. I'm not going to go into specifics because it needs to be done safely, obviously. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, and the, so that's one element, I guess. If I go through it more, more stepwise, the other consideration is, so it's how mum is feeding and then also what mum is feeding with. I'm just trying to think of a, a way to put this that, yeah. that's quite, um, that's easy to understand. So a big proportion of babies who reflux have cow's milk protein intolerance. So right. that is certainly something that I always consider. Yeah. And um it may mean that I will suggest to breastfeeding mums to omit all cow's milk as well as soy products from their diet. Obviously, if they're on formula, I'll switch them to what we call an elemental or broken down formula um, that the body shouldn't react to if it's a, if it's okay. intolerant or allergic to cow's milk. So yeah. that that's one whole other aspect to consider. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of thickening feeds. Yeah, which I you know I know that some doctors will recommend that. I find it just constipates babies, and constipation right. can make um, reflux worse. So you kind of get, and then you end up putting the baby onto something for constipation, and then you you like chasing your tail. So yeah, right. I really, yeah. I really, and I, I pretty much never do that actually. Yeah, and you know, so so, so it's dietary modifications feeding and behavior modifications in terms of the sleeping that I've already mentioned, positioning. And if those aren't working, then I'll maybe consider some medication. The caveat being is that often in my practice, I'll be the fourth or fifth practitioner that they've seen. And, you know, if it's been going on for a while and your baby isn't gaining weight, then that medication may come in a bit sooner. But I do try to improve symptoms without using, you know, your acid inhibitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that makes perfect sense. So then with those babies who you were saying could have the cow's milk protein allergy, and then if the mum was to take away the dairy, take away the soy products, would 
if it was that, would it be quite a fast um, fix or does it take a while for that to get out of the mum's system? There's no, uh, I can't give you a very clear answer on that because what I've experienced is that it's different for every family. Okay. Um, yeah. It certainly wouldn't be like a 24-hour difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, you know, not, what, not my experience. Usually yeah. I find it takes a couple of weeks actually. Yeah. My, my Yes. So it is an undertaking and also there's a lot of education that needs to go on around that because it's quite hard actually to take dairy out of, dairy out of your diet. You know, you think, yeah. oh, you know, I can just switch, you know, to an almond cappuccino or, you know, whatever you have. <laughs> But there's a lot of dairy hidden in products, so you really have to be a bit of a food detective. And then secondly, obviously, if it's something that's ongoing, mum will need to be aware of other calcium in the sources of food because what I don't want is then mum's calcium intake to drop. Right, (laughs) yes. So usually if I find it's been an an effective step we've taken, then I'll suggesting a dietitian to make sure that mum's calcium intake is well supported. Yes. Okay. Right. Yes. That's really important because a lot of the girls that I work with would say to me that they have taken this out of their diets. They've seen the doctor, they're taking this out of their diets. You know, they might've tried it for five days and they're not seeing any improvement. And it's really important that, you know, you, these things don't, they are not just a fast fix. It's a process and it's a the process of elimination and to see how things go. A hundred percent. And I think the other point to make, Susie, is that it's not just taking it out of the diet. It's also then reintroducing it back into the diet. So usually I will actually say at least four week period, um, look for any changes in behavior and then reintroduce it and look for changes in behavior. So that's kind of like the classic way to test for food intolerances, you know, because we're not doing skin prick tests, for example, which would test for like an anaphylaxis. So it it can be harder to detect. Yeah, no, yeah, really good point. And so then if we go then through to, I know we mentioned colic very briefly before, mm. and I think when we, um, as health professionals, when we hear the word colic and we need to explain it, we get a bit like, oh, my gosh, where do we even start with colic? Because sometimes mums will think colic is uh, a medical diagnosis. There's actually a sickness and it really can be a set of symptoms. Can you just discuss how you how you feel colic is and and yeah, the symptoms that go with it? Yes, I agree. Um, you know, colic, constipation, it's the same. They're a symptom, not a diagnosis. Yeah. And the, you know, that's been the criticism about the term colic is because it does sound like an illness. It sounds like they've got something wrong with their guts. But that's not usually the case. And as you said, it is a collection of symptoms. Typically, it starts when babies are around two weeks old. Hello. Um, And, you know, they become fussy. They're unsettled. They may have wind as well, pulling their legs up, grunting, and look very uncomfortable. And they can cry and be very unsettled for quite a few hours at a time. Um, You know, the classic definition, though, is that it's not over the entire course of the day, but it's usually clustered in a period of the day. And um, typically that seems to be later in the day, Um, you know, as opposed to reflux, for example, which usually happens uniformly during the day, you know, because it's associated with feet. So that makes sense, right? And they're getting pain from that. Yeah. Um, That being said, I'll be quite honest, and the symptoms do overlap, you know, especially with the silent type of reflux and colic, and it can be difficult to tell the difference. Um, You know, there are one or two clues 
that I'll often ask parents about. And one of them is how babies feed. And, you know, this will be something you're very familiar with. Mm. Um, You know, what do they grimace? Does it look like they're in pain when they're swallowing? Um, What are they doing when they're pulling off? Are they, um, are they pulling their legs up? Um, which would to me be more suggestive of wind or colic, or are they stiffening and back arching, which is quite suggestive of reflux. So you know, these are the kind of subtle things that I look for, but um, it's very, very hard. It's very stressful for parents. Yeah. And I think that it's also important to flag that, you know, there's a lot that we can do to help support our babies through this that isn't over-medicalized. You know, yeah. things like, um, you know, and, and I'm sure that your viewers, your listeners, sorry, um, have heard of the fourth trimester. Yeah. Um, you know, and exactly. And that's, um, you know, and I think some of those philosophies and theories can definitely help in these situations. It's skin to skin. It's comforting your baby. It's uh, making sure that they're, they're wrapped, that they, it's a really nurturing um, period, you know, baby massage, all of these things just yeah. to, um, to try and help all their senses, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if it is this entity of colic. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And with that fourth trimester, it's the way that I guess we have, um, the way culture, you know, culturally now, especially in Australia, we've got a lot of very busy mums. We've got a lot of they're pulled in many directions. We've got so much going on on um, that they can read on the internet about sleep and about getting back out there. And I think that um, I would often have questions or emails for consultations for mums saying that something must be wrong with their milk supply because. The baby's mm. crying for four hours in the evenings and the baby's on, off, on, off, on, off the breast. And then when I actually go and assess the whole situation, baby's gaining weight beautifully, doing well in all the other times of the day, but having those periods of whether that is could be considered colic or whether it's just, as I often use this um, phrase, normal newborn behavior, um, mm-hmm. and they just, they just do it. And as soon as a mum can kind of start to, understand I guess that the baby is in that fourth trimester it's not really a separate entity yet of the mum mm-hmm. so um, the more you baby wear the more you carry the more you um, demand feed the more you just make life simple and stop trying to go out and stop trying to um, do a million things in the day and you know if your baby feeds for one hour and then has a great three-hour sleep but then feeds again every hour for four hours and then might have another four-hour sleep in that fourth trimester the more you go with it, as long as your baby is gaining weight, you know, right in those early days, sometimes you feel that sometimes colic can be labelled out there when really it could just be normal newborn behaviour and, and what babies are starting to do before they start getting into more of a routine, yeah, more of a feeding schedule mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think that that's why it's so important for, you know, podcasts like you've done, which is fantastic, you know, educating parents you know, just so that there's more of an understanding, as you said, of, you know, what is normal? What do we expect? We don't live in the communities, you know, that probably our our, um, parents and certainly our grandparents lived in, where, you know, where we had auntie or someone, you know, next door just to say, you know, what's going on, or or even just to hold your baby for you, you know, it can be very isolating. And I think also, I know that, um, you know, 
thankfully Australia hasn't been that affected, but certainly the rest of the world in terms of um, coronavirus, I think that it's an incredibly difficult time for new mums not not having support. So you're right, okay. you know, there, there needs to be an awareness of, of what's normal and, and who they can reach out to for, for help. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, completely agree. And so then about, if we talk about wind for a moment, do you think that babies do have real problem with wind or do you think that often it can just be digestion, it can just be the end of a feed, it can be an overtired sign and when they do pull their legs up or when they look like they've got a lot of wind, sometimes um, my clients will say to me, I'm really concerned about my baby being really uncomfortable with wind and I often feel that it is just what new babies do and they are they have an immature gut they are just trying to get their feed down and so wind for me often looks like it can be a problem but isn't a problem and it's just normal is is that how you feel with wind do you feel that it can sometimes be a problem or is it normally just because it's a young baby i think every baby's different you know, the wind comes out two ends, you know, hiccups, you know, babies will often hiccup and that's also yeah. them getting rid of wind. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't bother them, it will, yeah. which are, you know, it bothers the parents. Um, and I always say to moms, you know, did your baby hiccup inside your belly? Because yeah. you know, it's usually those babies that come out hiccuping as well. Yeah. But in terms of wind coming out the other end, I, I do think that some children are bothered by it and some children aren't. Um, yes, there's a degree of normal, 100%. You know, babies' guts inside your tummy, they're, they're not having to digest anything. Um, yeah. Whereas suddenly they come out and they've got this huge insult of things that they're trying to digest. But there are some babies who um, are definitely bothered by it. I think that that's, that's the way to put it. And and then, but then you've got to look at the child as a whole. I mean, how were they delivered? What are they being fed? How are they being fed? What environment are they in? Is it a stressful environment? Are they sleeping properly? I mean, it, it really is in the context of, you know, what else is going on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've got a very, very keen interest in the gut microbiome. And I certainly find that, you know, some babies born by cesarean, you know, and then maybe given antibiotics and, you know, maybe also had formula. And I'm really not pointing fingers. I mean, I had to have two cesareans for my babies. Um, But it's just about being aware of what's going on and what can possibly impact and um, imbalance the the system a little bit. But as you say, you know, it's about working on what's normal and what's not. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just when you said that with the antibiotics, with the mums that get mastitis and they go on their antibiotics, Mm, they might have to go on a second dose and then they have an unsettled baby. I'm often saying to them, look at what that, you know, look at how you feel when you have antibiotics sometimes. And you've got a young baby who is getting some of the antibiotics. And while um, antibiotics are necessary, antibiotics um, for mastitis are very necessary, we just need to sometimes have a look at that and think maybe that is why our baby is unsettled because they're having some of the antibiotics through the breast milk and um, into their tummies, which is a first for them. Yes, definitely. And um, for those babies, um, I would always actually put them on a probiotic um, during the antibiotic and possibly even for a period after. And I would also suggest a mum to go on one um, just to to help mitigate those side effects of, of the antibiotics. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But everything goes through the breast milk, and I know that. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. and that's food as well. You know, like, well, what are you eating, Mum? You know, well, what's yeah. going on with you? Oh, yeah, you know, I had takeout curry last night. Well, yeah. there you go. You know, there's yeah. your explanation. Yeah, um, and, and I know that some people don't agree with that, and they don't think it happens. But I absolutely believe that um, you know what Mum does to her body, a hundred percent impacts um, her baby. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is, it is the breast milk is made in the mum's body. And, and, and so you mm-hmm. it has to be linked in some way. And especially some babies can be absolutely fine with caffeine and other babies absolutely hate it. If mum has one coffee, the mum can be like, I, I can absolutely tell once I've had one coffee that what my baby is going to be like, you know, that night mm-hmm. and other babies, you know, the, the caffeine mm-hmm. can go in and out and there's no problem. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So just just to mention, just because you brought up food, um, yeah, it, we've, we're yeah. chatting about food now. There yeah. are certain foods other than milk that I may suggest for mums with babies with oh, reflux yeah. to um, to decrease, and one of them is caffeine, and that just made me think of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so caffeine as well as chocolate, because chocolate often contains caffeine. Um, yeah. You know, even your yeah. your non dairy ones. So so that just as a little aside there, because you you made me remember that. Yeah. No, <laughs> so yeah. Just, I'm quite unpopular actually. I say something. You know. <laughs> No coffee, no stuff. chocolate. Yeah, all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then have you um have you heard about the there's a lot of I don't know if it's a buzz at the moment, you'll be able to tell me. People will say that there's something called take out the red foods. And so the red foods is like tomatoes and capsicums and chilies. Do you find that that can have an effect on reflux as well? You know, I think it's a very slippery slope when you start taking more and more foods out of a diet. So to be honest, I don't do that um, yeah. because you, you're you essentially removing nutrition from mum's diet. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I think, yeah, I, I would usually discourage just, you know, randomly removing multiple, multiple foods. Yeah. And I think I'll just leave it at that, Susie. No, no, absolutely. I um, I think there's a lot of things online where people go from one food to the next food to the next to the next. And yeah, I think we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful that where's this evidence coming from? Where are you finding this information? And where do you stop? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so can you let all the listeners know about what you're doing? So what you're doing with your pillars that you're talking about, what you're doing with your online work? Because it's really interesting. Great, thanks. Um, So... As, as I mentioned briefly earlier, I've developed a, a five-pillar health framework for children, which is a very holistic approach to children's health. And it can be used both to manage any conditions that they may have, as well as actually just to promote health and optimize um, development. So those five pillars, and I'll just quickly explain them, I'm not going to go into detail, are they're five Ps, and it's plate, play, pause, people, and protect. And essentially what it looks at is children's nutrition, their environment, their activity levels, their relationships, also their environment in terms of toxins they're exposed to, pollution, potential problems with what we call endocrine disruptors, you know, the PVA, um, plastics, et cetera. And then also there's a big focus on the gut microbiome as well as the first 1,000 days. Um, I know that this is a lot of jargon I'm throwing at you, um, but really my goal is to simplify all of this into easy tools that parents can um, learn so that they can implement it to help their children. Yeah. And how I'm doing this is online because yeah. really my, you know, in that way I can reach so many more people and impact so many more children because really what I want to do is 
educate parents so that, that they have the confidence to make the right choices for their children. You know, as you said, like there's so much information out there and you are, you sometimes don't know who it's coming from. You don't yeah. know, you know, how that information is being interpreted. And I think it's so important just to have clear, safe messages to really help our children. I'm about to launch my first online course around gut health and constipation. So watch this space. Yeah. And um, in the meantime, I'd love it if parents would connect with, with me on Instagram. My handle is at Dr. Deb Levy. Yeah. Um, alternatively, um, they can find me on my website, which is drdeblevy.com. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll pop um, all of your, yeah, your handles um, in the notes and on my Instagram so girls can find you. I think that that is just so needed because the scary thing about social media now and the increase, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse with um, the internet, is that there are a lot of forums, there's a lot of Facebook groups, there's a lot of noise out there. And being able to find someone who has the credentials behind them and the experience and the education behind them is so important because I think that girls can get completely lost in the internet and it can be a bit of a scary place. So I think that having people like you who you can turn to and you can know that everything that comes from you is from a place, you know, of evidence is um, fantastic. So I think I'm really excited. I'm really excited for your, um, yeah, for your course and what, what is coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You know, it is, it's, it's great to, to connect with other like-minded people, you know, so I know we all need to help, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll chat soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really hope you got something out of it and at the very least made you feel not so alone in your breastfeeding journey. Share it with a friend who you feel may benefit from it or leave a review on your podcast streaming app. The more this podcast is shared and reviewed, the more women can benefit from this because we need to talk about breastfeeding more. Bye for now.